Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, and we'll be reading from chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. So Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. So this is Jesus speaking. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. morning again. I thank uh, Pastor Rolf for inviting me to come here and preach God's Word. Uh, when I was coming from India to study at SMBC where I studied, finished my studies uh, just recently, uh, I never knew that God would allow me to preach in different places <laughs> and this is what God is doing. Um, I love preaching, I love studying God's Word um, and it's a wonderful opportunity for me to come here uh, to, to enjoy listening from God's Word and reflecting on God's grace in the life of sinners. In the 18th uh, chapter of Luke's Gospel, we find God as the one who rewards those who are faithful to Him. The main idea of the whole chapter, chapter 18, is that God rewards those who seek Him. In the parable of the persistent widow, which is just the previous passage, Jesus communicates to His disciples that they should always pray and not give up. The main idea of the parable of the persistent widow is that God answers the prayers of His people. Not only that, our passage, the passage that we have read this morning, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, even affirms that God also hears the prayers of sinners. Now, as we approach this passage, uh, we must have one question in our mind. How can one person stand in right relationship with God? How can a sinner stand in right relationship with God who is holy and just? In verse 9, the gospel writer Luke tells us two characteristic features of the audience. First, 
they were confident of their own goodness and righteousness. Look at verse 9 in the Bible. He also told this parable, he means Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. So these people, the audience, they were confident of their goodness and righteousness. They were convinced that they had right relationship with God because they were doing their religious duties faithfully. They were self-righteous people. We can say that they were hero in their own eyes. They were heroes in their own eyes. The second characteristic feature of Jesus' audience was that they looked down on others. They showed contempt on others. They despised and rejected others because they found themselves much better than others. Now, dear friends, self-righteousness and looking down on others often go together. You cannot have one and not have the other. Why do people look down on others? Because they think that they are better than others. Why do people think they are better than others? It's because they look down on others. So these things, they go together. So that's the audience. Jesus tells this parable, remember the audience, Jesus tells this parable to them. They were self-righteous people and they looked down on others. Now let's get into the parable. What is a parable? A parable is simply a story. A brief story told by Jesus in the Gospels to make a spiritual point or a spiritual truth, right? And what's the point? Jesus himself says the point, so we don't have to guess it. It's there in the Bible. Those who elevate themselves will be put down, but those who humble themselves will be elevated. Now this parable is a parable of comparison in which two people are compared on an issue. Now if you study uh, parables in the Gospels, you find different kinds of parable. But this parable particularly is a parable of comparison. You know, Jesus is comparing two figures on one issue, okay? And the issue is who stands in right relationship with God? Who? The scene in the parable is that of temple worship. And Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The first character in the parable is a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee is not a name of a person, okay? A Pharisee was someone who belonged to a devout Jewish religious group, okay? A Pharisee was a well-accepted Jew, a man of good reputation in Jewish society, a man who is known for his meticulous observance of Jewish religious practices. In the parable, the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. And this is what he said. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tenth of all I get. Now, the first impression that you get from this prayer is that this prayer is actually a prayer which is filled with first person singular pronoun I. I, 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 I. A lot of I's. And by using the word I five times, the Pharisee makes himself the major subject of his prayer. Unfortunately, there is more I in his prayer than God. It seems that he begins well. He addresses God and he thanks him. That's good. Addressing God in prayer and thanking him. Fine, no problem with that. But why does he thank God for? Not for anything he got from him, but he thanked God about himself. Not thank God to him for himself, for who he God is, but who he is. He thanked God about his own goodness. Look how good I am, O God. I thank you for how good I am. There is no praise of God in his prayer because he is full of praise for himself. My dear friends, here is a truth. A heart that is absorbed in self-righteousness cannot praise God for anything. Let me repeat that. A heart that is absorbed in self-righteousness cannot praise God for anything. The Pharisee moves on in his prayer and tells God that he is better than robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and certainly better than that tax collector. He compares himself with a category of people which were considered scum of Jewish society. Uh, in other words, they were notorious sinners. They were infamous sinners. And by comparing himself with such people, Pharisee finds himself much better than them. Now earlier I said that this parable is a parable of comparison. That is right. But in reality, this parable is a parable of comparisons within comparison. Right? Okay, are you with me? Okay, there's a big comparison. In big comparison, Jesus is comparing the Pharisee with the tax collector. Right? But there are two more comparisons. So in that big comparison, there's one small comparison in which the Pharisee is comparing himself with the tax collectors and sinners and robbers. And in that comparison, he's finding himself better. And there's another comparison in which the tax collector is comparing with God and he is finding, the tax collector is finding himself a sinner. So it's a parable of comparisons within comparison. Coming from Jesus, the master storyteller. So we are here. The Pharisee found himself better than others. And he thanked God for it. He looks down upon others 
while at the same time elevated himself to such a level that he couldn't find fault within himself. He doesn't think that he is like other sinners. He doesn't really actually. In fact, he doesn't think that he's a sinner at all. Remember the audience to which Jesus is speaking this parable to. They were convinced that they were really good people and they looked down upon others. The Pharisee in this parable is just like the audience Jesus is speaking to. Now as we move further in his prayer, we find that the Pharisee has gone way beyond the requirements of the law in order to prove his religious goodness. The Jewish law required him to do fasting only one time in a year, only once in a year on the day of atonement. But what does he say? He say, I fast twice in a week. God says you fast once in a year. He does fasting, not once in a week, twice in a week. That means he was fasting a hundred times more than what God required him to do. And not only that, he says he gives tithe of all he get. This too was more than the law required because the biblical tithe applied only to certain produce, to certain items and not everything. By tithing everything, by fasting twice a week, the Pharisee proved himself to be a super religious man. Wow. This man is amazing. This man is something. He was too good. You know, in English we have the saying, too good to be true. I was just reminded of that. He asks nothing from God because he thinks he needs nothing from God. Seeking God's mercy and forgiveness seems unnecessary to him. He has made his own spiritual grade sheet and has given himself A+. This man is really good. Famous British pastor Charles Spurgeon, he called him, quote, too good to be saved. He was too good, he couldn't be saved. And as we will see in the end of the parable that he actually doesn't get saved. Let's move to the next character in the parable, the tax collector. Let me tell you briefly about the tax collector. In the time of Jesus, the tax collectors were considered bad people. They had bad reputation and there was a good reason for that. Tax collector were the employees of the oppressive Roman government. If you know your history back, they, you, you know that the Jewish people were ruled by the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor. And these tax collectors were the loyals of the oppressive Roman government. And that's why they were considered traitors of the Jewish people. They were greedy and they were dishonest. And they usually robbed people by taking from them what was not rightful. Because of all of this, people hated them and considered them sinners of the worst kind. Jesus intentionally 
brings the character of the tax collector in comparison to the most devout Pharisee to make a point. You see what Jesus is doing? He is bringing two extremes, two really opposite figures. And what's the point that Jesus wants to communicate? Now listen to this very carefully. A wicked man like the tax collector will be forgiven and stand in right relationship with God if he humbles himself before God and throws himself at his mercy. And a most devout man like Pharisee will remain unforgiven because by elevating himself and trusting his own righteousness, his own religious works, he did not ask God for mercy. That's the point. Let me just summarize it. Simple, simple statement. Uh, the worst kind of sinner like the tax collector can be saved. And a most devout Pharisee would not be saved if he doesn't humble himself. But if the tax collector humbles himself, God is willing and will come to him to save him. Let us first notice the posture of the tax collector. In verse 13, we read that he stands at a distance. He doesn't come close because he knows and he feels far from God. He had a sense of unworthiness which is depicted in his posture, his physical uh, actions. He would not look up to heaven but beat his breast. Why does he beat his breast? Beating of breast was a sign of extreme sorrow which women normally did at funerals. But it was a very rare thing for men to do it. But why does he beat his breast now? Because he feels extreme sorrow over his sins that there is no other way he can explain it. The sorrow bubbling in his heart over his sins finds vent in the expression of beating his breast. He was the kind of man about whom Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now let's look at his prayer. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He addresses his prayer to God. He knows and he feels that he is far from God. He feels absolute sense of unworthiness before God. Nevertheless, he comes to God and he prays to God because he knows that only God can give him mercy. He knows that God is holy and just, but he also knows that in God, there is hope for sinners like him. He compares himself to holy God and finds himself to be a sinner. He doesn't compare himself with other men because that's not the standard for him. He recognizes who God is and he recognizes who he is. And therefore he puts forward his plea. He says, God, have mercy on me. It's interesting to note 
that he doesn't use the normal word elio for mercy. Elio is a Greek word for mercy generally. Instead, he uses the word, the verb hilaskomai, which means to make atonement for my sins. To make atonement for my sins. So what is he praying? He's praying, God, make atonement for me, a sinner. God, make atonement for me, a sinner. That's what he's praying. Now what is atonement? Atonement is simply a theological word for the reconciliation that happens between holy God and sinful man by the means of a sacrifice. And what the tax collector prays is that God, please give me the benefits of the sacrifices offered in the temple. Because remember, the scene is temple worship. He knows that there is no other way he can receive forgiveness of his sins. He knows that there is nothing in him that can be the basis for the forgiveness of his sins. He doesn't rely upon his religious works because there are none. He comes to God empty-handed. He doesn't rely upon his moral deeds or his good behavior because there are none. He comes to God empty-handed, but he comes to God with faith in his heart. He believes that God will forgive his sins if he throws himself at his mercy. So when we look at the tax collector, what do we find? We find repentance, a desire to turn away from sin, sorrow over his sins, he was beating his breast, and a desperate plea for the forgiveness of his sins. And all these things were missing in the Pharisee, remember? How Pharisee prayed. And you know, you know what? The tax collector receives what he is seeking. He is seeking mercy, we'll see that he receives mercy. He is seeking atonement, we'll see that he gets the atonement. He gets reconciled with God, with holy God. In verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you. Now, whenever Jesus says, I tell you, I tell you the truth. This is like, it should be alarm to us here. He's going to tell us something important. Okay? I tell you that this man, which man? The tax collector. Okay? This man, rather than the other Pharisee. Okay? Rather than the other home, went home justified before God. Jesus says the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Justified before God simply means that come in the right relationship with God. Being reconciled to God. Having good relationship with God. God granted him, means the tax collector, forgiveness of his sins. The tax collector was justified before God. It simply means that he came into right relationship with God because his sins were forgiven and his guilt was removed. He was not justified by anything he had done 
all he could do was confess his sin. That's the only way any sinner can come to God. Casting himself on God's mercy through Jesus Christ. In seeking God's forgiveness, the tax collector receives it. On the other hand, the Pharisee went home unforgiven. He went home deceived. Believing himself that he was justified. My dear friends, it is a terrible thing to think you are right before God when you are not. Because all, you, all life you live thinking that you are right with God, you are right with God, but you are not. That's the biggest deception ever. So that's the verdict. What's the verdict? The tax collector was justified, but the Pharisee remained condemned. In verse 14, the latter half of verse 14, Jesus gives the basis for that verdict. It's also the point where Jesus wants to make by telling this parable. Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My dear friends, this is how God works. This is how God works. God elevates the humble, but puts down those who elevate themselves. God hates the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This truth is so profound and the best example of this truth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Apostle Paul in his letter to Philippians says this about Jesus. Listen, Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My dear friends, God exalted Jesus above everyone because in his incarnation, in his death, he humbled himself. The exaltation of Jesus was supreme because his humiliation was supreme. The lesson can't be clearer to us as well. Don't be like the Pharisee who wanted to reach God by making an elevator of his good religious works, but be like the tax collector. You know the tax collector was saying? What he was saying is that God, you provide me a ladder and you pull me out from my wretchedness. Dear friends, the best way up is down and the quickest way down is to lift oneself up. 
coming back to the question we asked earlier, how can I stand in right relationship with God? By humbling myself and pleading for the forgiveness of sins based upon the, the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And dear friends, that's the question that comes to us as well. How do we stand today in relation to God? How do we stand? Are you right with God? Are you right with God? This morning, God's word is speaking to you to get right with God. To get right with God. You don't become right with God by elevating yourself. You don't get right with God by showing God how good you are. By bringing all the good things that you have done. No. Your good works, your religious works amounts to nothing. Because God doesn't justify sinners on the basis of that. God justifies sinners on the basis of what he has done through Christ on the cross. And my dear friends, this is the unique message of Christianity. You know, in the West, we don't appreciate the message of Christianity much because that's all people get, right? Well, I'm telling you, I lived most of my life in India. But I tell you, this is the message that is unique. You go and experiment any religion. I'm telling you, you will not find grace anywhere. In, in all the other religions, you get what you deserve, right? You get what you deserve. But in Christianity, we don't get what we deserve. God gives us grace. And we, we don't get in right relationship with God because of what we have done. You might think yourself good because you are not an atheist. Well, at least I'm not an atheist. Isn't that good? You might think yourself good because you're not an idol worshiper. Well, all those idol worshippers live in countries like India, so we are good. <laughs> I'm not a criminal. I have no case against me in the local police station. I wear a mask. I'm a good. Isn't that good? I come to church. That should be good. You think you're good because you're raised in a Christian family. I mean, that, that should be good, isn't it? Raised in a Christian family. You heard the name of Jesus since childhood. But that's not good enough in the sight of God. My dear friends, when God, when God sees you, He's not comparing you with Pastor Rob or Billy Graham or anyone else. When God sees you, He compares you with his own standard. God wants a clean slate. A clean slate. Which you and I don't have. And we can never have, to be honest. For us, there is only one hope. God's mercy through Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't save better people. There are no better people in the world. 
God sent Jesus in the world to save sinners. If you come to God, he is willing to save you. But if you think to yourself, I am an alright person, well, he will not save you. What about you, my dear friend? The question comes to the born again believer as well. You know, the passage cuts both ways. You are a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like me. The danger for you and I is that we can pray the prayer of the tax collector, but with the attitude of the Pharisee. We can, we can pray the right prayer, but the attitude with which we come to church is the attitude of the Pharisee. How good I am. We can plead for mercy, but with a proud attitude which elevates itself and puts down others. As Christians, we have learned the right prayer. I mean, who prays in the church? Lord, I'm so good. Nobody does it. We have learned the right words. But our proud, self-righteous, sinful nature still wages war against the work of the Holy Spirit. And many often we compare ourselves to others. And when we compare ourselves to others, almost always we find ourselves much better than them. Many often we look down on others in the church because when we see them, we see them as big sinners. When we look at them, somehow their sins are magnified. What about us, my dear friends? Do we see the sinful life of others and feel pleasant in our souls? Do we have a constant tendency of comparing ourselves with others and finding ourselves better? My dear friend, God not only notices our prayers, but our attitudes as well. God watches motives behind our actions. And no matter how far we have moved in our Christian walk, God still hates the proud Pharisee within us. And at the same time, God is willing to grant forgiveness to a penitent sinner. We can read about, this, about the Pharisee in this parable and dismiss him, saying that he is a self-righteous person, but don't deal with the Pharisee residing within us. And this would be disastrous. We can easily fall away from the gospel and we can think that the blood of Jesus Christ is unnecessary for me. And we can say to ourselves, now since I have become a Christian, I can do on my own. This would be disastrous too. My dear brothers and sisters, the more we rely upon our own religiosity and spirituality, the cheaper the grace of God becomes in our lives. Brothers and sisters, that is a terrible way to walk on. The truth of this passage is not simply relevant to an unbeliever, but also to a believer. We are not simply justified by faith when we first came to Christ, but we remain justified by faith in Christ. That's how we live Christian life. 
we not only come to a right relationship to God by faith in Christ, but we remain in that right relationship by faith in Christ. What we need in our Christian life is the heart of this tax collector, a heart that knows that I am not better than other people from the perspective of God's righteousness, a heart that constantly seeks mercy from God. My dear friends, as, as you prepare yourself every Sunday morning to come to church, the thought that should be there in our mind, including myself, is that I'm going to the house of the Lord to seek His mercy, His grace. Amen. That's what I need. Brothers and sisters, let's come back to God and plead for His mercy. Let's come back to God with penitent heart and humility. God promises us to forgive us on the basis of the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. May the Lord bless us and may the Lord help us to choose life and not death. May the Lord help us to choose Christ and not this world. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you for this morning that you have given to us. We thank you for who you are. You are a gracious and generous and forgiving and merciful God to whom we can come. And Father, we pray that we, we pray that Lord, you impress the truth that we have heard this morning from your word upon our hearts. And Lord, may this word have effect on our hearts, O oh Lord, that we leave the pride, that we leave our self-righteousness, our goodness, and we come to you empty-handed, just as we are to you, O oh God, because we know in you we find mercy, in you we find grace, and there's no other way to receive that grace apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear God, we pray, whether in the life of believer or in the life of unbeliever, Lord, may the message of this passage that we have read and heard preached uh, work in the heart of that person, Lord, these people, Lord, all of us, O oh Lord, that, Lord, we think that, Lord, not because of what we have done or what we are doing, but because of what you have done and what you are doing through Christ, that we are not only saved, but we remain in that salvation always uh, by what Christ has done. So help us, O oh Lord, to long for Christ, to long for his mercy more and more, O oh Lord. Help us to realize our own shortcomings, O oh Lord, that we may come to you, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.